Hey, welcome to Raising the Bar. I'm your host, Aaron Mulcahy, and today I am delighted to be joined by David Gray. So this is our introduction, round two. <laughs> yeah, how, thanks, how, thanks, Aaron. <laughs> all right, David, how, thanks for joining me. How are you keeping? I'm very good, man. Thank you very much for having me. Um, we, I just went on a bit of a rant there before we started. Um, I thought we were already recording, so um, thanks, for, thanks for pulling me back on that one. <laughs> David was going into a great in-depth uh, background on himself, which is going to come into in a second, but uh, he, he, my, uh, my bad uh, translating and introductory skills have uh, once again caught up with me, all right? But uh, yeah, so great, great. For, thanks for jumping on, David. David's our first one for men to, to jump on, and we were just chatting all things GA and powerlifting and movement in general there. So look, we've got a really good episode coming up. Um, I've been a fan of David's work for a good while especially since making the move down to Waterford. Um, I typically found a lot of his stuff really helpful. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to ask David maybe just to give us uh, a quick background on yourself. And the question I asked you earlier on is, uh, before we, we hit live, was how would you describe um, your profession or your role in society or so? Yeah. Uh, so I guess what I was saying there is that I'm very much defined by, I suppose, the people that I work with. And that's a lot of people who are in pain, um, whether that be kind of chronic pain, something that's been lingering for, for a while, or maybe uh, something that's a little bit fresher. Um, and then a lot, of, a lot of stuff in the rehab world, maybe, maybe someone's had an injury um, and they're trying to get back to playing sport or lifting or, or whatever it is that they like to do, or just going for a walk or playing with their kids or, or whatever. Um, Typically, I won't be the first port of call that people will come to if it's if it's something like that. I'll usually be more towards the I've seen five or six people type of thing, and nothing has worked, and 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 that's when people tend to end up at my doorstep. Um, and then all that work kind of spills into the performance world as well, just because in my in my view, like better movement is better movement, regardless if that's pain. Now, pain is obviously multifaceted. There's so much going on in the pain world. Someone maybe just isn't getting enough sleep or not eating well enough, but that's the same in the performance world, really too. It's just it, it it's it's looking at the whole life and seeing what what the person is missing, what they need most in their life or in their movement, and trying to give them but that. And I think if we can give them that, rather than you, it, regardless if you're an, a strength and conditioning coach or a physio or a movement specialist or whatever if you can give the person what they're missing the most then you're going to help them feel better and move better and perform better so i think those worlds kind of all collide together um so with regards to kind of qualifications and stuff i went a little bit uh unorthodox around things i kind of i suffered with a lot of pain when i was younger uh playing a lot of ga and i i really ended up with a pretty bad knee injury uh, I had a patellar tendinopathy for about seven or eight years and I kept playing through it and I was in pretty much chronic pain all the time, just taking painkillers to try and get through the next training session and the next game and then the next morning I'd struggle to walk down the stairs. So, and I struggled to get help really, good help from people I I saw who were supposedly all the best people in Ireland and, and um I wasn't really satisfied with what they were telling me. It was quite reductionist, the thing that's, things that they were saying. So um, I kind of went and tried to figure it out for myself. So I went around and traveled around Europe and traveled around the world and met a lot of very, very smart people. 
and I started to learn how they were doing things. And I'm mostly interested in not the people who sound smart, Dara, but the people who actually get results. So the people who are actually changing people's how they move and how they feel and not just I sound smart by reading out of a textbook. Um, so then I, I had to come back then and do a lot of my courses and qualifications. And um, I went and did a neuromuscular physical therapy course. Um, but to be honest with you, most of that stuff was just to, just for the insurance side of things and, and to tick, tick the boxes and stuff like that. And, um, and what I use with people with regards to pain or performance is just movement-based work. And, um, and that's kind of that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm lucky enough to work with a vast variety of people. I do a lot of my work online, online consultations. Just before I came on the call with you, I was just doing a consultation with a professional basketballer. Um, I, had, I had a couple of like, older people this morning with back pain. I had uh, someone who does jiu-jitsu, professional jiu-jitsu or semi-professional jiu-jitsu and um so and it's just a complete variety of things so that's that's what i enjoy i i don't like working with one population i just like to spread it out and um if there's someone i can help i'm happy to do that that's brilliant david and um yeah i can i can definitely relate to an awful lot of that the idea of working with different populations and stuff as a coach anyway for me i find it keeps things really fresh and interesting um i don't know i often pondered with the idea of maybe getting into like a professional team, like trying to work my way towards that. And you know what? I'm kind of glad I didn't because I feel like it would have reduced my knowledge and exposures to all, all different aspects and areas of life. Um, yeah. I really like that thought of, you know, like trying to improve movement as a whole, as opposed yeah. to just, I think in some, I think it could be wrong, but I think in some kind of cultures and populations, it's like you're a strength coach or you're just a speed coach um, yeah. in, in big, big organizations. Okay. And uh, I guess, I don't know, what, what do you think, if, if someone was to go down that route of being a specialist in one area, do you think that their, their, their knowledge in other areas would have to take a hit? Uh, so, sometimes, but then the guys who you see, like the guys at the top of the game, the people that we respect and say like they're the best of the best, you could sit down and probably have a conversation about them, with them about any topic and they would be knowledgeable on it. They would understand speed, they would understand biomechanics, they would understand strength and Olympic lifting and, and powerlifting, maybe not in the greatest amount of detail, but they would have a lot of knowledge on all those topics, on pain, on physical therapy. They, they would know what they're talking about. And most importantly, they, they usually will demonstrate an unbelievable ability to connect with people and to have very, very strong communication skills and empathy. And they're able to coach and they're able to understand that it's people are much more than just a body. There's a brain involved, there's the nervous system involved with thoughts and fears and emotions. And um, you can be, excuse me, you can be the, the coach with the most knowledge in the world, but if you can't connect with people, then it's probably not going to be much good. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Communication is probably the most, it's probably the most undervalued thing when it comes to a coach. Um, like you said, having all this, this knowledge inside your head, but if no one ever, uh, picks up on it or it doesn't get from A to B, B being the, the person in front of you, then it's, then it's no good. Um, exactly. Uh, just on yourself, David, right? So you did a lot of traveling and a lot of learning, you said. Who would be like some of um, your mentors or people you've learned from the most? Uh, so I guess, I guess traditionally wise, 
I've, I've dived into like a lot of just traditional strength and conditioning stuff. So anyone who's ever written a book, um, particularly with a Russian last name, I've probably, I've probably looked at their work uh, over the years. So uh, Verkachansky and people like that, I would have studied a lot of their work when I was younger. Um, then there's a, there's a guy called Gary Ward in England who's, um, he, has, he has a company called Anatomy in Motion. He's taught me a lot with regards to biomechanics and how the, the movement of the joints are going to dictate the function of the muscle. A lot of people think it's the other way around where I need to, people will talk about contracting their glutes and, and my glutes don't contract. Well, if you get the joints to move into certain positions and move in certain ways, then the muscle has absolutely no choice but to react to those movements. So Gary is big on that. He's big on gait analysis and um, how the foot moves with regards to the rest of the body and when the foot should be moving, when the bones should be moving, how the, how the joints will time up with each other. Because ultimately, we are creatures that have, have been, we've, we've gotten to the top of the food chain because of a few reasons. And one of those reasons is that we can walk very, very well on two feet upright, which allows our hands to be free and allows our, our vision, we can, we can see on the horizon. And that, that's a very incredible thing for, for an animal to be able to do. And we can do that better than anyone else. And we can be very, very efficient at doing that. So gait, walking, breathing, and throwing are, the, are some of the biggest things that have got us to, gotten us to where we are now. So a lot of the time, if we can, and a lot of our brain is organized around efficient movement and efficient movement to our brain up until a hundred years ago would have been just how, how well I walk and how well I run. Even when before gyms existed or anything like that, people had to be able to be efficient at, at hunting and, and, and getting around. And if, if you don't move very well, if you don't walk very well, if you don't run very well, you don't breathe very well, then you're going to you're going to suffer sometimes as a result. So Gary was a, a big influence on me in, in that world and being able to look at how people move and, and analyze and, and find out what they're missing. There's a, there's a physio in England called Dave O'Sullivan. He's actually a Cork man. Um, he's, he's, I think he's probably one of the best physios in the world, to be honest, but he's, um, he's worked with England Rugby League and England Rugby Union at two different World Cups, and uh, he's been a mentor of mine as well. Um, he's a he's a very very smart guy and then there's just several other people dotted around the world uh, i've done some work with postural restoration institute who look at a lot of the breathing work and rib cage and pelvis um and just how important that is so it's i tried to take the best of of everything i've done some work with ido portal and um and and people like that in the kind of stretching movement gymnastics world um so i just try to take the best of everything find what works for me and and kind of bastardize it in some ways and just put it into a system that that works best and then i have the tools to hopefully pick out and find what someone needs because i want to be able to help anyone that that can come to me and that's not always the case sometimes you have to be you have to refer out and uh, understand what is in your scope and what isn't but uh, i do want to i want to know everything that's my issue sometimes it's i want to know everything there is to know and that's a bad thing in some ways because like you're saying earlier, you maybe don't specialize enough in one, in one area, but I just have a, a desire to know as much as I can and, and hopefully be able to help as many people as I can with that knowledge. Then. No, that's a good, that, that's again, uh, an attitude that I can really relate to. And 
being humble enough that if you don't know something, then for me anyway, but I'm humble enough to ask if I don't know. And uh, exactly. I, have no, I have no issue doing that. I have no issues asking uh, silly questions that some people would see would, would deem silly. Um, but yeah, and it sounds like you've got like like different, um, you know, like kind of different areas. Like I presume Edo Portal style would be very different to David O'Sullivan, who would be yeah. very different to Gary Ward. Um, and I, I'm familiar with David. He presented for the Remove Movement Project a couple of weeks ago. I thought he was really, really intelligent. Oh, did Sorry. he? Yeah. Did he? Yeah. What did he present on? Um, it was something. It was something to do with pain again, but it was just really the way he presented it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, he's really good. He works with. He worked as a rugby league, um, England and rugby union. He yeah. Worked, I think he's worked with both codes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's just his communication was was uh, was fantastic and stuff. So yeah, he was very a, smart guy. It was a real movement intensive about uh, I guess eight weeks or so ago. Um, it was really good. But um, yeah. So so when when you got these different or like different uh, like views and thoughts and stuff, where does where does the like so like flexibility and stretching and like where does that fall into for you, David? What's your thoughts on it? Uh, it's a big topic, Dara. It, it it can it as time goes on, it falls into it less and less and less. To be honest, it's very. Very rarely that I will ever get someone to stretch anything anymore. Um, and that's coming from someone who went so far down that rabbit hole and was very, very invested in that world and learned from some of the best in the world. Uh, I think I found better ways to get what I want from, from someone than, than, than stretching a lot of the time. And that is because if we understand that any or most limitations that someone might have in their movement is because there is a brain involved. And when there's a brain involved, that brain and that nervous system is dictating how far you can move into a range of motion. It can, it's dictating the tension that you feel in certain muscles and the tension that you maybe don't feel in other muscles. And also a lot of the time, the muscles that people feel as being tight are actually not tight. They're being lengthened already. And the brain is saying, it's basically a feeling of a stretch that you're getting all the time. For instance, a lot of people's hamstrings are in that position and they will continue to stretch and stretch and stretch their hamstrings. And they'll say, my hamstrings are tight. Well, actually it's most of the time it's because of the position and movement of their pelvis is limited. So it comes back to the position of the bones and the movement of the bones dictate, dictates the length tension relationships of the muscles and, and stretching. So, I would say that I can get most people to get the mobility that they need in their body without ever having to stretch anything um, by just doing a little bit of strength training and just getting them to breathe well. And, and most of the limitations that I see mobility-wise are actually motor control issues. They're control of the joints. And that, those, that control of the joints is limiting their range of motion because the brain is saying, no, you ain't going there. You don't have the strength. And you don't have the control of that of that range of motion. So stretching, traditional stretching at least, is not doesn't make up much of my practice at all anymore. And that again, that is coming from someone who's been a gymnastics coach and been involved in all these things. And and without without trying to sound arrogant, I I I do have an understanding of this stuff, and I do know how to do it very very well. If I wanted to do it, I just think I've found better ways. Okay, and. 
would that ever way be, as I've heard you speak about before, with the, the relationship between the, the ribcage and the pelvis? Is, is that something you would kind of touch on when you talk about yeah. improve like, like that relationships there? Yeah, yeah. So basically, if we think, right, we, we take 22,000 breaths a day on average. And if I'm in a if I'm in maybe a poor position and I don't want to sound like there's poor positions and good positions, it's movement is a continuum. It will, it will be, we should be able to move into all these ranges. But if I'm starting in a poor position and maybe can't access another position, then 22,000 breaths a day are going to expand into certain areas of the rib cage and are going to compress other areas of the rib cage. But really, 22,000 breaths a day, I should be able to have an ability to expand 360 degrees of the ribcage on every single inhale. And that's a lot of movement if I can get that to happen. And if I can't get that to happen, it's a, it's, it's a lot of movement that I'm missing automatically then. And people will sometimes say, well, a lot of the time, the new thing is like belly breathing, talking about breathing into the belly. Yes, the belly should expand, but so should the rib cage. And the people that I see who focus on belly breathing quite a bit, they have a complete inability to expand into different parts of the rib cage, which leads to big restrictions at the rib cage, at the diaphragm, at the pelvic floor, pelvis, and the hips. So if we can start to change that and get expansion into new areas, then we have increased proximal stability. I don't want to uh, sound fancy, but proximal basically will be more the more central structures for anyone who maybe doesn't understand. So like the rib cage, the pelvis, and then distal would be, if you want to think of like uh, the extremities, like the hands and the feet and, and, and further away from the midline. So if I can increase the stability of the proximal structures and get pressure in the system through the, through the core without squeezing any core muscles, then most likely I have more room for mobility around my hips and my shoulders and my knees, well, maybe not my knees, but my feet, um, my hands, my neck, because my brain knows that I have that stability there in the center, in the midline. So a lot of the time, these mobility issues are actually just motor control issues. And a lot of them, in my opinion, stem from poor breathing mechanics. Okay, so we want, and feel free to jump in if I'm, if I'm understanding it wrong. So we want a breath to the diaphragm, to the chest, and like 306 degrees, so we go fully around, not just, not just the chest, sorry, the full yeah. way around the ribcage. Is yeah. that, am I picking that up right? Yeah, yeah, so, uh, so sides, chest, and back. We want all that rib cage to expand because if you if you took out the ribs and you looked at the lungs, they would be expanding in that way. They're not just expanding to the front where people think the breath should be going to the front. They're expanding. They're they're getting larger in 360 degrees. So if my lungs are to move well, then I need to have expansion in 360 degrees of my rib cage. Or automatically, my lungs can't expand into certain areas, and that is a huge restriction. That is much bigger. This is not spoken about because we can't see it, but that's much bigger than like someone saying my, my VMO is weak. My VMO, my, my, like one muscle in my quad is weak versus my lungs can't expand into a certain area. I know which I prefer to start with, you know? So it is a very, very important thing from a mechanical standpoint, the movement of the rib cage and the whole body, but also from a kind of 
nervous system fight or flight parasympathetic versus sympathetic thing. So fight or flight or rest and digest. If I'm struggling and I'm a little bit restricted at the rib cage on every single breath I take, then that brain is going to understand that. It's going to know that. And it's, you're, you're not in a rest and digest state. You're in a, if you think of people who only breathe into the front and think of like uh, someone who is being chased by a tiger, they'll probably be like this which is going to be an elevation of the rib cage or someone that's about to go into a fight, they'll probably have their chest up and they'll be ready to go. So that's a fight or flight. And that's what we'll see at the rib cage. Whereas someone that can relax a little bit, get the ribs to depress down and start to breathe nice and softly through the nose, that would be more rest and digest. So your breathing is going to be probably the number one thing that dictates what state you're in 24 hours of the day. And it's not that if you're going in for a one RM deadlift, I don't want you to be in rest and digest. I want you to be amped up, right? But when you walk out of that gym, I'd love you to be able to get out of that, not to feel like you're going in for a one RM deadlift every single step you take. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, so why why would you think that people would say aren't getting that inflation of the lungs? Is there any is there any kind of things we do day to day that are causing that, or is it just like habitual? Uh. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything, really. It's 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 stress of of daily life. It's mini stressors all the time. So e- everything we do is kind of pushing us more towards that. Because I'm talking to you here. I'm looking at a screen, um, and and me looking at the screen is like it does actually papers to show that like when you're looking at your phone or looking at a screen like that your eyes are focusing on on one target like that and and that's a little bit more fight or flight rather than rest and digest like me walking in the woods and me being able to see this big wide span and peripheral vision that's a nice relaxing thing whereas me looking at a screen i'm focusing that's like i'm focusing on one target that's more fight or flight so that's like if we want to talk about the eyes then if we, we could just say that we probably don't move enough or walk enough, so we're not getting that pumping action through the whole body. Uh, even now, if we are taking 10,000 steps a day, where we came from was probably more like 20,000 steps a day. Um, and then there's, 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 sometimes there's dental issues, sometimes there's like things like hay fever, things don't, people don't breathe through their nose. Um, there's issues from birth sometimes there's a whole host of things and then there's mechanics there's postures there's habits so so a lot of the time we 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 would have been grown up we have grown up being told that maybe we should stand up straight and squeeze our shoulder blades together and lift your chest up and that that is obviously going to compress the back and lift the elevate the ribs at the front so it's habits it's but, but like, who, who tells my dog, who's going to tell my dog or a gorilla to, to stand in a certain way? Like that they should be standing with their ribs elevated up. They, they, they don't. They just move. They find themselves in different postures all the time. So it's, it's habitual stuff. It's, it's, um, it's society that tells us that standing tall with your chest proud is good and the opposite is bad. Whereas we really know that that's just not the case. Uh, it's just all movement on a continuum and then and then there's a lot of things if you think about going into the gym if you think of every single lift that you did this week uh 
and I could probably guess, one would be a back squat, one would be a deadlift, one would be a, like a row, one would be a bench press, a pull-up maybe, uh, an overhead press, whatever. Every single one of those things you had your chest up for. And you were, you, were, you were pulling your shoulder blades back. So even when we were saying there should be balance between pushing and pulling, well, the pushing and the pulling, I bet you have your shoulders retracted for both of those things. Whereas you go out in nature and you try and, you try and throw a stone with your shoulder blades retracted, that's not going to happen. You try and throw a punch with your shoulder blades retracted. You try and open a fridge door with your shoulder blades retracted. It's a protraction. It's going to be a reach. But those reaches don't really exist in the gym. And that will affect, uh, that will affect breathing mechanics and that will affect movement. Um, because and powerlifters are an example of this. They, they don't walk or run very fluidly. And that, I, I really don't mean that to offend anyone. They, they are shaped, their bodies are shaping in a certain way so that they get very, very good at lifting weights because that's a very strong position to be in. But they don't, they don't walk or run with like loads of rotation and loads of nice fluid movement. So they are getting compressed because compression is what they need to get stronger. But when we step out from a barbell, then, then that's, if we can take away a little bit of that, then I think that we can go back and train in the gym even harder then so that we can, so that we can reciprocate and, and we're not getting stuck and always pushed in one direction. Okay. That makes a lot of sense again. And, and I can relate to that as well. So, so just, I'm getting, again, getting a clearer picture in my eyes because it's something I'm really interested in. So when we breathe to the lungs and it's important that we, we don't want the ribcage to flare up. We want to draw down on the ribcage, don't we? We want, so, so we want, we don't want the ribcage to just flare up. Okay. So there will be a, a belly expansion. There will be a chest expansion. At least there should be. But there also should be the same, uh, a similar expansion at the sides and, and the back. And if I, if I ask you to, to stand there or lie there or sit there and I ask you to breathe and I just see a, and that's a, a big elevation of the rib cage, yeah. then that's an, a front that is opening and a back that is closing. And a lot of people will say that they are a chest breather. Well, actually they're not. I would struggle to see anyone who can really expand their chest from front to back. What they think is a chest breather is someone who's, they're, they're actually elevating the ribs. They're pulling them up, but they're not getting expansion from the inside out, if that makes sense. Um, that does make sense, like, like forward to back. And, exactly. And just as you were chatting, like, and it's, it's, it's so true, um, the most common movements for anyone in the gym, uh, probably applies to people that aren't powerlifters too, but like, will be squatting, a deadlifting, a bench press, a row, all those types of movements. And as you said, there is uh, very much element of scapular retraction and very little uh, elements of protraction where the, so like, for protraction for anyone, I suppose you could describe it as like a slight rounding in the upper back. Is that what it would look like to most eyes, David? Probably, yeah, yeah. You could think about like the shoulder blade reaching around the body. As I reach my hand forward, I let the shoulder blade come with it, and the rib cage will kind of fall back into the space between my shoulder blades. The opposite of that would be the retraction where I pull my shoulder blades back together like they're going to touch each other. And, and I'm just going back to, and I, I'm very much of the opinion, like, 
that retraction is a good thing. I, I, I look for that, especially in like uh, people that are intermediate and experienced. Mm -hmm. but, I, but initial school of thought, like through like, uh, like courses, and I've done myself with my own education, was like shoulder blades and back nice and flat because mm -hmm. of this risk of injury. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, what's your thoughts on that? It's a strong position. It's a strong position to be in because you're locked in. Now, it's a strong position to be in for a power lifter, um, but because your sport is lifting more weight, if I have a GAA player, then I might sacrifice lifting a little bit of weight for something that is not compressing their ribcage and putting them always into an anterior tilted position. So what, what will we see with a lot of GA players? They have very, very poor hip rotation. And a lot, of, a lot of people that lift in the gym tend to get a little bit tight in the hips and have poor hip rotation. And that is a very, very important thing as a human being to maintain that rotation in the hips. And rotation is limited, particularly internal rotation tends to be limited the more I go into an anterior tilted position and the more I struggle to get out of that position. So it's, it, it does beg the question of, is more weight always better just because I can lift more weight in those positions? Or should I maybe lighten the weight and maybe think about keeping myself with a little bit more of a ribs down position? But there is another part of this conversation. And that's, and I, I, I want to be careful. I'm not, I'm not telling powerlifters to change how they lift in any way because that is a strong position for them to be locked into. But there's another part of this conversation and that's the thoracic spine. If you look at a skeleton model of a thoracic spine or of a, of a spine, it will have a natural kyphotic curve on the thoracic spine. So there'll be a little bit of rounding on the middle and upper back, and then there'll be a little arch in the lower back. So if we're saying so what they're teaching in courses is a neutral spine to keep the spine straight but what we know about a skeleton is our spine is not naturally straight so a chest up and an extended upper back is actually the opposite of a neutral spine a neutral spine would be a slight flexion through the upper back a slight rounding through the upper back yes so essentially it's it's totally natural and normal to have that shoulder Protraction. Sorry, I always give it up between protraction and retraction. It's the protraction, reaching yeah. Yeah, project. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's totally yeah. normal. So to pull the shoulder blades back and keep that back perfectly flat from the your heel to your lower your head to your lower back is probably yeah. an inverted commas like not optimal. Well, I, I don't I don't know I don't know what optimal is because nothing is optimal. But um, yeah. it's very hard to find what optimal is. But um. I don't love coaching it like that. And I, I'm not, I'm, I've been lucky enough to work with some fairly top-level powerlifters around the world. And my big focus with them, if we just want to talk about powerlifting, is you can lift what I'm not. You're much stronger than me. I'm not telling you how to lift, but I will, I will try and help you feel a little better after you, but maybe before you lift and maybe after you lift. And a lot of that will involve reaching exercises where they're protracting and getting the ribs to drop down um, and, and breathing into the back. So to get the expansion into the back um, and, and getting the pelvis to tuck under so that I'm getting more of a, a slightly rounded upper back. 
so it's not it's not that it's optimal it probably it's not optimal in a lift but it is optimal to recapture that movement after i've after i've smashed myself in the gym okay. to recapture that movement because then i feel like it's, it's just about variability there it's it's in any joint if i've if i've lost the ability to go in one direction then i probably want to bring that direction back not because that direction is better or the other direction is better but because i want to be able to go both ways and as soon as i lose the ability to go one way i also kind of lose the ability to go the other way because if i stand on the left side of my room and i want to go to the right side of my room i can go over there but if I stand on the left side of my room and I want to go left, I have, I'm already there. I can't go any further. So if I have a shoulder blade that's already pinned back all the time when I walk, when I stand, when I do everything, and I want to pin my shoulder blades back, then the muscles aren't doing anything because they're already there. So I've lost the variability. Now maybe I can't go right or left because I've, I've been stuck there so long. So I want to introduce, be able to protract, be able to retract, be able to get the ribs down, be able to get them up be able to flex this, flex the spine, be able to extend the spine, be able to get rotation through the hips, be able to get a pronation, which is a flattening of the feet. All of these movements are in our body for a reason. And I think the more we can keep a hold of them, then the better we feel in the long term. Yeah, so true. And so true that like people that over-specialize in certain things like, like powerlifting, say for example, they do tend to lose a small bit of movement or variability in, in other like you're talking about in gait and running and I can relate to that myself because I've, I've been down that path a couple of times and it's it's true. Takes a, it's, you focus on set, set patterns like that. It does take from does take from the other patterns that you take for, take for granted. And yeah. just one last thing on, on, on the, the, the rib cage. Okay. And it's the idea of, we'd say the shoulders rounding. So when we reach forward, the shoulders obviously round forward. Does that have any like detriments on our posture or what do you think on that? Uh, and just, just a little bit back to what you said about uh, we, we lose, lose variability as a, maybe as a powerlifter or something like that. Mm. That, that. That is kind of a good thing as a powerlifter. Okay. Because if you're, if you have a, if you're doing a, a 1RM back squat, you don't want that much variability. You want to be as tight as possible and just go down and up. And I don't want any move, movement anywhere else. Um, so it, it is, a, it is a good thing as a powerlifter to have that, but, uh, sometimes you go a little bit too far along that line and you, and you end up not even being able to go that down and up anymore because you have pain. So just keeping a little bit of that variability is good. But if, for someone who isn't a powerlifter, someone who just likes to go to the gym and get stronger and feel good, I think we don't have to lose so much variability to get stronger is what I'm saying. I, like to, I think there's so many ways we can get stronger without finding ourselves stuck in positions all the time. Yeah. And, that's, and that's what I like to introduce to, to some of my clients, particularly people who need to play sport and uh, rotational stuff and stuff like that. Um, and then with uh, what, what was the question there? Sorry. Um, just no, uh, ju just the idea oh, of the posture. The posture. posture, the posture. Yeah. Where does posture yeah. play into all this? Posture plays in not very well because posture. All the research now shows that posture is a bit of a myth. There is no one best posture. It is about movement. There is no research piece of research that you will see that there is a good posture or a bad posture. As soon as because because we'll say so, to someone stand in neutral posture, stand in a good looking posture. As soon as you take a step, 
hopefully you've gone very far out of that posture. Because if you haven't, you're very, very rigid. So as soon as you try and take a step, as soon as you take something out of the press, as soon as you bend down to tie your shoelace, your posture is gone. Posture doesn't exist. It's about movement. It's, it's, it's just about movement and alignment. And the posture that people is good, that people think is good, where I should be standing up, up very, very straight with my shoulders squeezed back, that is not a natural posture of the spine. The spine should have a flexion in the, in the thoracic. It should have a little bit of a rounded spine. A little bit. I'm not saying, I'm not telling anyone to hunch forward or have shoulder blades uh, or, or, or like have a, a pigeon chest or whatever you want to call it or very rounded shoulders. I'm just saying, if you're going for a walk, you should not have to think of your posture. You just stand and you relax, and that is less tension in your body. And the better you get at movement, the better your posture becomes because you're able to access all these things and you have a better relationship with gravity. So posture doesn't really exist. It's, it's about movement, and the more I can find all edges of my movement, then the more likely I am to stand something that looks like a neutral or natural posture without me ever having cued anything. We're, the, we're sometimes our rational brain as human beings is, the, is our biggest problem. I see people in pain who've, who've come into me with back pain for 20 years. And it's because a lot of it is because they have had the idea that they need to hold themselves in a certain way. Someone told them 20 years ago, you need to sit up straight. And as soon as I say, well, does, does your, is your husband in pain? They'll say no. And I'll say, how does he sit on the couch? And I say, he sits down like a slob. He just completely slouches down. And I say, and, and exactly. And how does he feel? Oh, he feels great. He's never had pain. So I'm saying, is posture the issue? Or is it that you're holding tension all the time? And it's tension is the issue. And that tension in the body and tension in the brain. It's, it's, it's this constant fighting against myself to, to make myself look like someone said I should look. And that's a, I think it's a big, big thing for people to try and understand uh, I need, I, we need to learn to relax and let it go and not try and hold ourselves in a certain way. That's not to say when you're doing your lifts, you shouldn't be focused on your position and all that. I'm big on position and being on having tension in the right area. But as soon as you sit down on a couch, as soon as you go for a walk, relax, let it go. It's, you're going to feel so much better. And just on the idea of tension and do you think it, it mainly comes back to people's like, uh, stigmas or perceptions of what a good posture looks like is that where the, the bulk of that tension comes from i think a lot of that is 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 that yeah i really yeah. do i really do um the people who the people who i see who are cr like chronic chronic back pain have tried like a hundred different things and all that and, and i see them come in and number one they don't breathe very well but that's a tension thing as well they're tense they won't they can't mm. relax relax relaxing would be a nice relaxed breathing through the nose and it feels good but tension is like I'm trying to pull in air. I'm trying to survive by pulling in air. And you'll see that in there. It, it's their whole body. It's their, it's their mind. It's their, they, they can't, they, they're constantly analyzing everything they do. They can't go and have a coffee with a friend and relax. They have to, they have to analyze how they're sitting there in the coffee shop and analyze what they're saying. And does my friend like me? So and all, all this stuff. And it's just tension in the body. It's tension in the mind. And a lot of that, it probably does come back to society because mm -hmm. like 
I look at my dog there, he'll lie on the couch and his head will be hanging off the edge of it. And he never heard me say that it was bad, so he never realized that it was bad. So it's not bad. Uh, it's just he, he knows what feels good for his body and he does that. He doesn't know what posture is, he just moves. He just breathes because he's relaxing. He's not worried about what I think of him, except when I have food. But, um, <laughs> and, and that's every, and, and the, the thought that, the perception that we're different to any other animal in the world the only thing that makes us different is our rational brain that we can act, we can think things through and very much think what do other people think of me and that's an issue that can be an issue i i know myself i have been very guilty and i'm sure there's other coaches of this but it's like um it's paralysis by analysis do you ever hear that then and yeah whether that be my own training or if i get a knocker and niggle and the, like getting in this bundle of information coming in and like you said, I'm sitting in a chair and I'm like, am I upright? Uh, is my pelvis in a neutral position? Is my And it's like, there's a thousand and one things going through my head. Yet I know a guy, um, extremely strong man, like the most naturally strong guy I've ever come across. Extremely, and he's the most laid back. He's resting heart rate has got to be under 20 beats per minute. <laughs> nothing ever bothers him. If he gets a nickel or a knock, he's like, yeah, it's okay. Whereas I'm, I could... I could forget my lifting gear and uh, I'm stressed out. Whereas he's the very exact opposite. Yeah. Anytime he gets an injury, he comes around from it so quick. Yeah. He's could be far more, you know, like it could be actually something's actually wrong with him. Whereas me, it's about 99% inside my ears. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's so true. Like you said, like it's sometimes the more, you know, like uh, it's, it's, it's a curse, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Or the, the, the more you want to know. Yeah, and it, look, that's personality types too. Like, I'm not saying anyone's personality. Like, you're never going to be like that guy, and that's mm -hmm. fine. But you probably need to try to be a little bit more like him, and he probably needs to try to be a little bit more like you, you know? And, and it's just balance. Like, isn't everything in the world we're trying to find that balance? Like, that, that balance between, like, I have an injury or I have a bit of pain, I'm not going to freak out and overanalyze it, but also I'm not going to say, there's nothing going on and put my head in the stand. And that's the same as my, my food. Like, I'm not going to say that eating a Mars bar is the devil, but I, hopefully I'm not going to eat 20 Mars bars a day. You know, I'm not going to say that chest up is a good thing and chest down is a bad thing. Hopefully I can, I can find some compromise and be able to go into a little bit of both. And we understand that with some things in life and we ignore it with other things in life. But everything is about balance. Everything is about being able to, we should learn this. What I love being able to do is sit on the fence and I can see both sides and I can see that when someone comes to me, maybe I want to make them stronger and maybe I want to make them breathe better. And I don't have to choose. No one is making me choose. Whereas some people love to fall into the side of like, I, I work with a lot of people with Achilles tendon problems and the whole, the whole world goes, you have an Achilles problem. Here's your calf raises. And and I can do calf raises, but I can also work on how your foot articulates with the floor. No one is making me choose, but people love to take a stance and say, no, you just need to do this because it's easier to say that. It's so easy to say, I'm this guy. I'm the posture guy. I'm the, I'm the guy who gets everyone stronger or I'm the guy who doesn't lift any weights and I, I just work on how people move or I'm the guy who does those stretching. Well, actually, all those things are probably valuable. So I want to be the guy who does does whichever one of those or a combination of those is right for the person that I'm working with. Yeah, and as you said, you know, having all these different tools 
but having for me anyway i have like, to have like, a set, like some set principles that i go by and i just pick up from those different tools you said mm -hmm. i might need more strength and some i might need more movement or whatever it may be but um mm -hmm. yeah that's really good and i guess with anyone any coaches or any young coaches listening in that's that's a real good uh like kind of philosophy or way of doing things not to fixate yourself with any one method and i suppose adapt exactly. to the person in front of you exactly yeah, yeah exactly exactly and at the end of the day if you don't if you don't connect with them and you and you can't help them understand why you're doing the things you're doing and why it's valuable for that person then it doesn't matter what you do it, it won't work yeah. it's as simple as that um okay david we might just change gears ever so slightly right um seeing as both of us are making a return to the ga scene and the ga <laughs> scene itself is bringing a it's bringing all a smile to our face over the next couple of weeks, right? So, let me see, what day is it today? It's the 24th of June. I believe uh, most club championships are due to start in the first week of August, which is about five weeks. Most teams yeah. would have got back to action straight yeah. away last week when this was uh, <laughs> when yeah. this was confirmed, with no time whatsoever. So, in five weeks, I presume, and again, I presume the same with most clubs, Teams want to get themselves in as best a possible condition as they can for yeah. the first round of championship because a lot of them are going to be knockout or a knockout style, maybe like one, two, two, mm -hmm. two to three games, I reckon, max. And at that stage, you will have had to uh, win the majority. So, first of all, we, we'll talk around um, maybe, maybe pain and how to avoid injury yeah. in this next couple of weeks. What yeah. would you recommend to GA players? There's... It's, it's such a tricky one because it's not an ideal situation, you know, and uh, there's no doubt there's going to be injuries. There's definitely going to be injuries. We look at, we look at some of the research when I think it was an NFL lockout, whatever many years ago, and um, they came back, they came back to their preseason and after the, or back to in season after having a lockout during the season. And there was like a 200% spike in Achilles tendon ruptures when they came back. And that just tells us that that alone, but everything else we know about strength and conditioning and just principles of human movement, knows we know that a spike in load is going to cause injuries. There's no doubt about that. So I don't want to scare people there. It's going to happen and you just have to be as prepared as possible and hope that if your, your preparation and it, and it doesn't happen to you and I'm in that boat as well, there's no, there's no real magic secret here. It's about... Being, being a little bit smart with your training and the training is going to amp up and the games are going to amp up and we probably won't get enough training sessions in and we won't get enough like challenge games or anything and next thing you're thrown straight into a championship game and that intensity is going through the roof so what I'd say is number one thing don't get injured in the meantime before championship so but this, I guess this is less for players probably and more for coaches. Mm -hmm. Don't flog the crap out of the lads in the first few sessions. The, the, I think there's a thought there now. We, we have to get as much fitness in in the next four or five weeks as we can. And yeah, you do. But the team that's going to win is the team that can kick the ball over the bar or hit the, hit the ball over the bar. So I would be saying get a lot of work in, in, into your body with as much ball in hand as you can and as much kind of change direction work and contact work as you can and as much well not as much but people need to be sprinting they need you can't leave it till your first championship game to go into a 100% sprint you you will end up losing a hamstring 
So we, we have to try and replicate the demands of the game as much as possible over the next few weeks. And that means getting up training. And that means doing a very good warm-up, I would say. Uh, and hopefully coaches are understanding and lads can go up through the gears over the next week or two weeks rather than one session. Um, and then, I guess, from a player's point of view, you've got to make sure you're, you're, you're getting your sleep and your nutrition in. And you got to make sure that you're looking after your body. Um, I talk about it a lot on Instagram and, and with a program and stuff recently, but uh, you got to make sure that your, your hips are moving well, your, your, ten, your Achilles tendon, your knees, you're doing a little bit of preventative work on that stuff. And, and you got to make sure that if you don't feel so good at a training session, I'd say pull out. And that's not a good thing that like, I hate saying that and I don't, I, I won't even do that myself a lot of the time, but for the sake of 30 minutes at an end, the end of a training session, if you feel like this hamstring doesn't feel so good or this knee doesn't feel so good, drop out. No one is going to blame you. It's just, it's, but that's, that's seen as a, that's seen as like a, oh, a girly thing to do in the GA as, oh, I dropped, he dropped out. What's like, yeah, you just need to toughen up a little bit. Sometimes you need to listen to your body and say, I've done enough for tonight and I'm going to ease off a little bit and I'll be back ready to go again next Tuesday night rather than actually I pushed it so hard that now I'm injured for three weeks. Mm, yeah, and yeah, that's, that's brilliant. And, you know, for me, when I, when, when I think of like recovery, right, we kind of touch on it like injury prevention, whatever it is, that the workload or the, the training load itself is probably going to be the biggest um, and factor, and this is going to probably apply to coaches. Players just turn up and do what they're asked. Mm-hmm. Most, like that's, that's the way we're, we're just used to. You just turn up and you do what you're, what you're, mm-hmm. what you're told about what, what everyone else is doing. Um, so like you said, from a coaching point of view, like a gradual progression into things is going to be so important. Like, and, yeah. and as you said, exposures to, to sprints, but that doesn't mean the first night's a sprint. Like, it doesn't have to be like 100% of a sprint. It could be like a rolling sprint at like 80% or 70%. Exactly. Or, uh, it, it is hard to quantify 70% and 80% when you sprint on that. But like, you know, like medium effort and max effort, something like that. But we save those max effort ones maybe when we've got two or three set, two or three weeks of sessions underneath us and we're building up a bit of volume. Because realistically, although we did see world record 5Ks over the COVID virus <laughs> um, lockdown, most lads have done little to no yeah. exposures to like that maximum printing that's going to be the biggest risk i think so lads gonna like like doing lots and lots of long running now and then leaving all the sprinting work to like two weeks before championship that's going to be equally as risky as right now coming back into it yeah. so for, for me what i do as a coach and, and i'd be interested to hear your opinion you try and you're trying to kind of give like you know you do, you do aspects of running throughout our blocks or whatever but like trying to get some some long longer slower stuff something in the middle and then someone more high intensity stuff like mm-hmm. kind of a day almost like a daily undulating it's like a mm-hmm. powerlifting style approach yeah you do that i do it towards like running mechanics and stuff and uh yeah i found that to be to be useful but for well for players then david outside of of the ga pitch right like we said they're going to turn up and they're just going to do what's asked and mm-hmm. sometimes it can be a mindset thing they won't want to drop out um for whatever reason like you said it can come across come across as being girly or whatever it may be um, are getting a, a mocking off their friends. What, mm-hmm. what what can lads do outside of the GA pitch? What would you be recommending? So most of the most of the people that I work with, um, GA players, and that's that's from like just a, a regular 
like under 16 or 17 GA player who's not feeling like he's moving as well as as he could to like all the way up to inter-county all-star GA players I, I, regardless who they are I still like them to have like a little routine that they can do 10-15 minutes a day uh, actually not GA players everyone I think you should have a little routine that you do every day at some stage in the day that that it gives you a chance to check in with your body and see how your body is feeling and it gives you a chance to work a little bit on some of that stuff so for for some people that can be just like very simple little foot drills where they're just bending their knee and they're, they're allowing their arch of their foot to like flatten into the floor a little bit and then spring back up stuff like that for someone with say an achilles problem or an ankle problem or just standing on one leg balancing for someone that maybe has an ankle problem standing there for a minute with their eyes closed um for someone else it might be like just some hip mobility drills um and and, and a little bit of breathing work uh, it, it really depends on the person, but you have to find like that, that 10 or 15 minutes a day that, that feels good for you and commit to it. Consistency is the most, um, for, for, for most people, they probably need to get assessed by someone and I, I'm not trying to sell myself by someone, anyone, just someone good who knows something that, about movement, get some, get some work off them. And, um, cause, cause the stuff you find on YouTube, there will be good stuff. You, you just won't know what's right for your body. So you have to find someone good and, and, and it's worth the money. It doesn't matter what you pay for it. It's worth the money because in the long term, if you can, if you can chip away at some of that stuff, then you're going to have a, most likely you're going to have a longer career, a more successful career, a career that say is hopefully you're not in pain. Now some injuries are unavoidable, but, um, a career that hopefully you're not in pain and injured all the time and if you are you're going to end up spending a lot of money on reactive work on physios that have to treat you all the time whereas 5 10 15 minutes a day of preventative work is is is, way, is the way to go it's as simple as that and the best athletes that I've worked with with the longest careers 15 years top level professional athletes they are the people who always committed to doing a little bit of that preventative work all the time. And I wish I was one of them because I, I made so many mistakes when I was younger as a, as a player and I suffered as a result. And sometimes you only really know that as you get older, but a few minutes a day of drills that are right for your body and not ones that you find on YouTube or whatever, that's, that's what you need to be doing. Okay. And, and as you said, getting nutrition and sleep, nutrition yeah. and sleep, and as you said, just movements uh, like specified for that person. That's, yeah. that's, that's good. It doesn't have to be um, a big drawn out session as such, just as no. long as they're doing stuff to kind of, I suppose, build resilience. Would you kind of, kind of yeah. claim it as that? Yeah. It could, it could be a resiliency thing. It could be like strengthening certain areas or it could be just a, a, a feel good thing where I just make sure that, okay, my hips don't rotate very well. I'm making sure that I, 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 I move into those ranges a little bit every single day. And, and find myself there you know what Darryl? like this might not sound sexy but like for some people just going for a nice long walk on the beach or something so mm-hmm. so important like just chill out put on a podcast you just trained hard the night before have a walk on the beach you're going to get that heart rate up just a small bit you're going to get all the blood pumping and muscles pumping a little bit uh and you're just it doesn't have to be beach it can be anywhere but just going for a walk just loosen yourself out uh, the worst thing you can do is, is train hard and or have a hard game and, and spend the next day on the couch or in the car driving and, and 
and not have a chance to check in with your body at all. I totally agree. Um, some of that like active recovery type stuff or just get up and moving, especially if you're doing it with, like, for example, myself, myself and Gina will often go in and you're spending time with you know, your, your other half and that ticks another box as well. Like, you know what I mean? It's all, it all ties into the same thing and exactly. uh, increases, increases like uh, recovery and happiness and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. David, that is about her for today. That was really, really informative. Not, okay. not, not your most formal um, uh, ending of a podcast, but uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for jumping on. I found that really, really, uh, really, really good, especially around the reification relation to power levels and stuff. Yeah. Really interesting. And I've, I've, I wanted to pick your brain on for a long time, so I'm glad I got the chance to. And yeah. hopefully any GA players tuning in that you picked up something um, beneficial for your return to play and I think we maybe didn't say it directly but like if, if stuff isn't feeling good just not around with telling your manager look man I, I want to sit out for a while yeah. and uh, that's that's something that hopefully GA players get a bit more courage and confidence to do over the next while because year, year, yeah. we are entering into a unusual but also traumatic period for our bodies um, yeah. so it's important that we kind of respect that so thank you David I really really appreciate it if David if anyone wants to find you or your work, um, where where can they do so? Uh, Instagram sometimes is, is a nice place to go to kind of see, maybe so, see some of the things that I'm talking about there. Like so we, we, we chat about the ribcage and some people will probably say, well, he's talking crap there. That doesn't apply to me. But it does, I promise you it does apply to you. It's just, it's just that I haven't maybe explained it in a well enough way or you're a visual person that needs to see what I'm talking about or something like that. Um, so Instagram is a nice place to see like short clips of that. Um, so it's David Gray Rehab, uh, G-R-E-Y Rehab. And um, website is davidgrayrehab.com as well. And uh, yeah, if, if anyone wants to send me a message or whatever, uh, that's... The Instagram or our email or whatever is probably a good place to go. But um, yeah, no, I really appreciate you having me on, Dara. Um, absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, it's good to good to see the gyms back and good to see you guys back. Thanks, man. Thanks, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, so interesting couple of weeks and couple of months for us all here. So hopefully, I hope we all stay healthy and teams keep driving on and people just put their health first. And as you said, you know people value that and. The, the world starts to come back to some bit of normality over the next while. Hopefully, we'll, the plan. we'll be able to go for a coffee in, in, in Molly's one of the days. <laughs> exactly. Sit have a seat. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> okay. So, thanks for tuning in, guys. And thanks to David once again. We'll be popping this up on Spotify soon enough. So, you'll be able to check it out there. Okay. Chat to you all soon.